Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is a bonus episode of the Adweek podcast because we have reached the historic benchmark of 100 episodes. It's it's probably like 100, I don't know, 15 or 20 because we did do a bunch of bonus episodes in the middle, like uh, special interviews and such. But we did want to mark the official 100th episode mark by taking some time to answer questions from listeners and Adweek readers. Uh, we did this with our 50th episode and we had a blast uh, and, and lots happened since uh, 50 episodes ago. Uh, so happy to have on board uh, Doug Zanger, a uh, editor with me on the Creativity Beat here at Adweek. Doug, how you doing? Good. Aside from a little cold, but the sh- two shall pass. Good. Well, you sound all right. And very excited to have Anya Fernando, our producer on the podcast. It's weird to have you on this side of the mic. How you doing? Good. Yeah, it is weird. I'm usually just like hovering <laughs> over everybody. Now I get to be on. Just just whacking people in the back of the head mm-hmm. when they when they um too much or lean away from the mic. Yep. Well, it is. Uh, what's your what's your day job these days? Uh, we always have a cool title for you. Did. Digital projects editor? What are we calling you? I am digital projects manager. There you go. That's right. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for making time. Anya has been inv- heavily involved in uh, producing the podcast and has been on several times uh, and, uh, you know, has strong feelings on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. So hopefully we'll get, we'll get some questions. <laughs> if we don't get any questions on that, I'll just make some. I mean, yeah. I'm like anthropologically fascinated by that show. I've never watched an episode. I just live it vicariously through you and like other Adweek staffers that tweet about it. (laughs) All right. Let's dive into some of the questions. We solicited these on the podcast and on Twitter and Instagram. And so it's kind of a mix. And I've just grabbed as many as we could. We'll try to make time for as many as we got. Uh, So I'm just going to throw these out to the group and we can all just kind of jump in. Julian Burke asks... What advice would you give for someone looking to get into advertising? I've been reading Luke Sullivan and listening to podcasts. What other advice can you give? Uh, just for context there, uh, Luke Sullivan is the author of Hey Whipple Squeeze This, which is kind of the definitive copywriting intro book. It's the first book I read when I was a junior copywriter. And uh, so that's a good start. Told him that was a really good one. The most recent version of that is uh, co-written by Edward Bochus, uh, from, uh, who was at Mullen for, he was the creative chief at Mullen for a long time. And I think he's a professor at Doug, you know, like Boston University. It's one of them. It might be, B, yeah, BU or BC. Yeah, one of them. Not, and, not having, not having. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he is you know awesome too. So that is a really good. If you have not read Hey Whipple, squeeze this. That uh, that's a strong one. Uh, but other than that, um, I'll see. Doug, you want to get us started? You've been covering this industry a while. <laughs> what advice can I give somebody to, looking to get into advertising? Um, well, I think being a student of it is is a good start. 
I think understanding the history of it is important. I think that there are times when we get a little bit too nostalgic about the past, but I think that having a good take on the history of advertising and, you know, you could go back to Ogilvy, you go back to Birnbach and it's good to, it's good to learn and understand that. But I think the important thing is, is how to interpret what it means today. Um, in terms of, you know, looking to get into advertising, there are several tracks that you could take on this. Um, you know, the most obvious one is, do you go to Brand Center? Do you go to Miami Ad School? Do you, if you're over in Europe, do you go to Hyper Island? Do you, there are several educational tracks. Uh, and there are clearly some very good uh, journalism programs and advertising programs. So you went to Missouri, right? David? Uh, I did, yeah. Yeah, so you went to Missouri. That's a great program. Oregon, I'm, I'm not just saying this because I live here. Oregon has a great program, Northwestern, Columbia. You know, those are good ways to get in. But if if you're doing something else in your life, a good way to, to get into it is you really just need to start. And I know this is going to sound like, well, of course, you're going to say this, but it starts with, number one, networking with a lot of different people because you might have an idea of what you want to do in the industry. Uh, but I think it's important to meet with and talk to as many people doing different things. So talk to a copywriter, talk to an art director. If you're on the business side of it, talk to an account director, talk to a strategist. I mean, I think that I think that strategy is a part of the field that, uh, at least in the United States, I, I don't want to say it gets short shrift, but sometimes we forget how important strategy really is because that helps inform a lot of what we see creatively. Um, so I think that's a really good first step. Now, the other thing that I've learned over the years as well, and especially recently, is if you're going to get into advertising, you may be a copywriter, but it would be good to have some different skill sets. So if you know how to produce audio or video, that's a big plus. I've heard from Deb Morrison, who leads the program at University of Oregon, that what they're looking at in terms of talent, uh, and this may sound a little bit advertising cliche-ish, but a lot of agencies are looking for makers. That's what they're looking for. Deb told me that, that every agency is looking for talent that has multiple skills, can do multiple things. So... I think that as you're looking at it, look at what your skill set is and then look on the periphery, look on the margins of, of what you margins of your experience and see what could translate well into advertising. So that could be production, that could be painting, that could be animation, could be stop motion. Um, so those hobbies that you think are kind of cool could actually yield you a paycheck and potentially a gig. Yeah. Uh, Anya, anything come to mind? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, try to get internships at companies that you admire, you know, do a little research. And if you see an ad or a campaign that you really like, dig into it, try and find out who made it, try and reach out, even just reaching out with like a compliment, I feel like is something people don't do enough. Um, and I would also say, uh, try and broaden your scope. So if you think you can only do writing, or you can only do art, try different things on for size. Um, and see where your talents can take you. On that you. internship, make sure it's paid, yeah. too. Don't do anything for free. Yes. Do not do anything yeah. for free. Yeah, the uh, Anya's been running our uh, grad guide, our graduate's guide to marketing and media for the last few years. Uh, any other uh, kind of recurring tips that you've seen come up with that for those coming out of college or recently graduated? Um, just definitely boosting up your resume with things, even if you don't think it's important, it might be to someone um, like Doug was saying, sometimes artistic things that you might not think are relevant could be. 
Um, so just making sure you have everything on there and tailoring your resume to whatever company you're applying for. Yeah, and it, you know, it's interesting as I, a long time ago when I was at newspaper, I hired this woman uh, to be a reporter and her resume was fascinating. You know, she had news experience, but she also had been a monkey handler in Tanzania. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and she had been a forklift driver at the Whole Foods warehouse. I mean, she had just had this, and she was young. She was like 24, you know, and uh, to this day, she has the most like amazing Instagram to follow <laughs> because she is just like one of those people who travels all over the world and does all the stuff that most of us would never really spend the energy to do. And so because that stuff was on her resume, I was like, hell yeah, I want this person. I mean, they have like, like I, she's a good enough writer, but just that kind of curiosity and, and exploration, uh, she'll be great. And then another staffer said, oh man, I took all that stuff off my resume. Like I was a turtle biologist and I did all this, but I took all that off because I thought I had to be 100%, you know, specific to the job. And I mean, I guess it depends on who's hiring you, but especially in advertising, like, man, put all that stuff in side hustles and everything. People love it. All right. Uh, well, just so we don't linger too long on one question, let's move on to another one here. Uh, Mike S., uh, who did not include his last name, he asks, I want to know how you, the Adweek staff, got into advertising yourself. <laughs> um, and uh, it's going to be a little little different for each of us. Um uh, Anya, how did you how did you end up at, at Adweek and covering advertising? Well, I wouldn't say I'm in advertising. I'd say I work in journalism, but I, I, I guess I work in an, an advertising magazine. Um, yeah, you're advertising adjacent. adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like I wouldn't say I'm an advertising expert or anything, um, but I actually went to school for broadcast journalism. And I started off doing that. I had internships at CNN and at local affiliates. And then I transitioned uh, into digital media because I wanted to do more writing and editing. And in TVs, you guys know everything is chopped up and it's hard to get a whole story out, I feel like. And I didn't like that. Um, so then I moved into digital media and I worked at Media Bistro for a while, and then they were acquired by Adweek, and I've been here ever since. Yeah. And uh, Doug, you had a fascinating uh, kind of roll-up. What's, what's the, the Cliff Notes version here of your progression? Yeah, so I was working for um, a small sports manufacturer called Nike. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, heard of them. <laughs> and on the side, so speaking of side hustles, I had a friend who had a media buying business in Portland and she was looking for help just getting some radio copy done. And I got the copy points, knocked out a commercial. And next thing you know, I'd started building this little boutique business. And then I started learning uh, production. So I thought, well, I'm writing these things. I should probably learn how they're produced. And then I started getting on the microphone. So this was mid nineties, I want to say. Um, and so I uh, had a friend who has still has a winery tour business in Portland and I wrote a spot for him, went in did the commercial and then spent about an hour and a half with the production director. Next thing you know, he says, Hey, you've got a good voice. You ever consider being on the air? And two weeks later I was midnight to 6am on the weekends, uh, at a station rank. I think it was like 19th out of 23 in Portland. Uh, so, so, so I have this fancy college degree and I'm back selling Linda Ronstadt songs, uh, at two in the morning. And then I realized pretty quickly that the people driving nice cars were not the DJs. So I figured, you know what? 
if I'm going to, if I'm really going to tuck into this business, I should really learn the, the advertising side of it. So I started in radio, uh, on the air and then became production director. And then we evolved it into a creative director type of role. I mean, I wasn't like a Susan Hoffman by any stretch, but we did some really good things and elevated creativity with an audio, which was usually, um, you know, secondary and, and it just went from there and then worked for the guys that run the advertising week events, uh, worked for a different publication for two and a half years. And thankfully and very happily, I am at ad week now. So it's a very weird, long path. And I will gladly sit down with anybody with a coffee to explain the whole story. <laughs> if you make it all the way out to Portland, Oregon to sit down for coffee. Exactly. Um, you know, and my path to advertising was, uh, pretty straightforward. I got fired, uh, from, <laughs> from, uh, my newspaper job. And I actually just gave a speech about this the other day at a conference, uh, cause the topic they wanted me to talk about was how to future proof your digital career. And so I was like, I was like, well, uh, I can tell you how I survived re- rebooting my entire career from like the ground up, which was terrifying. And I don't, I don't recommend if you can avoid it. Uh, but it's also possible. And, you know, I was in this great newspaper job and got a new boss who absolutely hated me. Uh, <laughs> the feeling was, mu- was, you know, was mutual. And so, uh, I got, I got canned a month after being named employee of the month. <laughs> Good so job. I was well like, done. I was mixed messages. And, um, but uh, yeah, and so we had to move, like my, my wife and I had to move from California all the way to uh, back home to Alabama, my, my home. And I you know, applied to work at an ad agency as a junior copywriter. And my previous job, I'd been managing like 25 people. <laughs> and so it was, it was kind of fun to like start over as a junior copywriter working nights at the coffee shop. Uh, but it was, it was great. I loved, uh, I loved learning a whole new skill set. And I tried to be very humble about it. And just, I guess the thing that, that is pertinent to this question is just that, I brought a lot more to it than I expected. I thought I would be the idiot that had to learn everything. And instead, maybe it was the agency I worked at. They were very cur- curious to learn from me and from my experiences, you know. And I think Adweek is that way. I, I think the best employers are where, like, people come in from different backgrounds and we really value that instead of being like, oh, you just don't know what your way around. <laughs> um, so I, I'd say the best agencies, to Doug's point earlier, are the ones that um, – that value outside experience. And I, I ended up working at an agency for eight years and started freelancing for Adweek and yeah. And then uh, now I'm full time, but because of that, I, I think I'm one of the only ones who's really I, here at Adweek who's worked at an agency, uh, which is good and bad. You know, it's good that we're kind of independent from that scene, but also it, it did help me to kind of understand that space uh, better and to really, to, I have a lot more sympathy, mm. I think uh, for people who've gone through the process of making a campaign and all the ways it can become crappy. Um, yep. But, uh, but yeah. So anyway, there's our path. Uh, every, I, I recommend following as many Adweek folks as you can on Twitter. Uh, it's a great way to kind of get to know people and they'll generally answer your questions if you want to know more about them. Uh, we've got, uh, so we got several questions from Bree, the designer. Uh, Bree! <laughs> we love Bree. Yeah. She is, uh, she, she, that's, she just goes by Bree, the designer on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is, uh, a Bree, Bree, A-Y-B-R-I-B-R-I. And she asks, <laughs> uh, what were your favorite moments so far? I assume she means on the podcast and not just in life in general. Uh, Anya, what, do you have any favorite podcast moments that you remember? Yeah, I mean, I have so many. The first thing that comes to mind is whenever we have a field trip and we get to leave the office and go somewhere fun. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes it's not me going. Sometimes it's other people. But like um, one of my favorites is when we went down to Gimlet Media. Yeah, Gowanus. Gowanus, that's right. (laughs) And we got to talk to Matt Lieber, who was 
really interesting. It was really cool to see their space and just to talk to him about the the world of podcasting. Um, also, we went to Cannes. I mean, I didn't, but Griner did, and we got lots of Cannes <laughs> interviews from that. And that's just cool, being in a different environment and being able to talk to people we normally wouldn't. Um, and lastly, our grad guide episodes I love because as Griner said, I sort of head up that uh, digital project and I think it's really cool to talk to the reporters about what they learned and to give out advice for grads and I really like those episodes. Yeah, the number one question we get is always that one. That's why I put that one up top is how to get started, how to break into the industry and the the grad guide. If you Google Adweek graduate guide, you'll find several years worth of them now and man, just dozens of pieces of content at this point. It's, it's all great stuff. And, and congrats to Anya on uh, managing that each year. It's a it's an awesome piece of content. Uh, Doug, uh, I know you haven't been with Adweek too long, but any podcasting moments beyond that? You started a podcast network uh, oh, before, b- before here. So um, what are any moments come to mind? Uh, here's what I like. I, I would agree with the grad guide because I think that that's really useful. And, and I think that it's not just for the graduates as well. I think that professionals in the industry really need to be listening to that episode. They need to be digging into that uh, because some people might be doing things the same way that they've been doing it for years and it might shake something loose. I think what I, there, I don't really have a particular moment. What I really appreciate though is that most people know us from the words that they see in the magazine or they see on their screens. What I really appreciate is the insight that all of our team brings to the podcast and just brings to Ad Week in general when they're on the show. Because I, I think that when you start peeling it back a little bit, you just get this really interesting insight. You get a chance to understand the personality of this place, which is fantastic. And you also get more of the story. And I, I just I think I just really appreciate hearing from everybody because they bring something unique and different and really very strong when they're on this podcast. So I, I think that's a really important piece. And I, I just love that. I think, uh, you know, for me, I'm going to be kind of uh, lame and just say that uh, getting to interview Ira Glass, uh, we did a bonus episode from Cam oh, with him. Yeah. Lucky and bastard. The, <laughs> yeah, that one. I mean, that was just, that whole scenario was pretty great, A, because he was lovely, and it's always nice when people you admire are actually good people in real life. Uh, We ended up running into each other the next day and talking again, and uh, he was great. You know, he never asked, like, how many listeners we have, or you know what I mean? He didn't, like, (laughs) try to get a sense of, like, is this worth his time? He was just like, yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, let's make it happen. And... um, and the best part of that to me is that when I was trying to set up our mics, and I still had like five or ten minutes before he showed up, and something wasn't working, of course, as it never does, uh, and when, especially when you're stressed out. And so, like, the mics weren't working, and I'm sitting there trying to figure it out. And this was not at the apex of our podcasting, like, <laughs> like knowledge. We were still quite new. And... Um, all of a sudden, Ira Glass sticks his head into the little interview room where I was at in Cannes, and was just like, hey, can I help? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's sure, Ira Glass, you can you can help me tech support my uh, 
my setup. And the first, he like walks in, he's like, well, the first thing you need to do is figure out, is it the microphone or is it the computer? And so let's try swapping the microphones and see if it's still a problem. And sure enough, like that's how we, he, <laughs> it, t- it took like, it took like five seconds and he troubleshooted the whole thing. Uh, yeah. And it was a great conversation. So you can still dig that one up on the, if you scroll back through the older episodes, but yeah, all the can podcasts, uh, did one with Sophie Worth, who's the head of recruiting at Wyden and Kennedy Amsterdam. Uh, and Sophie's just a lovely person. I think I'd met her once, maybe once before that, um, but we've gotten to know each other really well since then. And she told me that, you know, several people who listened to that episode reached out to her about whether, you know, for work or for advice and that uh, she got a lot of feedback on that episode. Uh, it was about, you know, basically how to make the advertising workforce more diverse, especially, you know, in, in Amsterdam. It's actually illegal to ask or track people's um, demographic information. Mm. So people like her, she's not allowed to even like track it. So she can't tell me, you know, how many non-white or whatever employees she has uh, because it's illegal in the Netherlands. Mm. And so even though despite that, they have one of the most diverse staffs of any agency I, I had visited. So, you know, that was a, that was a great conversation. And, and a lot of those interview episodes have been, have been fantastic. So it's hard for me to pin down. I mean, I've, I've been on most of the hundred episodes so far. Um, but, uh, and they've all, they've all been super fun. This thing's uh, been a blast. Uh, but, uh, I yeah uh, we'll see I'm sure the best is yet to come uh, okay so we've got we've got uh, James Price asked this was one of my favorite very specific of the moment questions but I love this mm-hmm. question uh, with Nike's Colin Kaepernick ad do you think that the parody Nike mockups on social media diminish the original concept or further strengthen it on the one hand people are acknowledging the original ad's concept and its simplicity but I also hope these parody mockups don't distract everyone from Nike's original message. Um, Anya, you want to start first? What do you think of all these? We've certainly seen plenty of uh, kind of satires of the the, and we're obviously we're talking about the ad with Colin Kaepernick, where it says, um, you know, believe in something even if it means uh, sacrificing everything. Uh, what do you think of the the satires? Yeah, I don't think it distracts from the message. I mean, it almost shows that it's already an iconic image, and people are using it. Uh, to do their own, you know, memes or whatever. And it's it's more press, basically. It's spreading the same image around even more. And I don't think, I think it just shows how um, impactful it was and how it's taken on its own, like, thing in the culture. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah, and it kicked on right away. Remember, mm-hmm. like, like that night people were already making, uh, the first one I saw was uh, Thanos from uh, Avengers. And it was just, it was the same line of copy. It was just Thanos. And it said, like, you know, believe in something for me and sacrificing everything. And I was just like, man, well, the meme machine is <laughs> kicking on fast yeah. with this one. Mm-hmm. Doug, what do you think? Um, no, I, I agree. I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it takes away from, um, from the message or take away from Nike in any, you know, in any way, shape or form. I think it's just, I, I think they're just, you can look stupid doing it. I mean, to be honest, I mean, it really, what's, what was, what would you say the, like the original, this is before memes became memes. I mean, the got milk, I mean, it's the, the got fill in the blank for, for years. So we've seen this before. Um, but you know, we've, we've, we got a few pitches where it was, Hey, we're, we're mimicking this ad. And I just, you know, big head shake, like, eh, no, thank you. No, thank you for this. Um, I think this ad, occupies a very different space. And I think it's a brand that is huge. And, and, you know, I'm not dissing the California Milk Processors Board, uh, but, um, you know, Nike is a huge global brand. 
And um, I think that this we're in a moment in time and in society that uh, any sort of parody or any sort of meme action on this just it, it's not going to make a ripple. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. I, I think to Tanya's point, it says a lot in favor of the campaign that it is yeah. uh, it's iconic and 99.9% of ads will never accomplish anything close uh, you know as Doug was saying I I can't think of really much of anything I mean you'd have to go back to like the Apple uh, iPod silhouettes oh yeah in terms of like something uh, yeah. that was almost immediately satirized and became so iconic in culture that anyone can reference it um, but you know it's like it was interesting as even like really right wing sites that hated it uh, still used it, right? Oh, sure. Like they still reference it. So it's just like you're kind of all acknowledging, yeah, this this is a thing that is pointing culture in a direction. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, it sounds like we're all on the same page on that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Alina Radchuk, I uh, hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, she says, love the podcast, which I included strictly just because I, I like <laughs> no, reading. No, you, you, know, you put that <laughs> yeah, in. You put that in. typed it in at the right. top. Love the podcast. I replaced, uh, your podcast is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's adequate. Um, yeah. Uh, she says, love the podcast. I'm in the market. I'm in marketing and was wondering what other podcasts you'd recommend. There are lots of marketing podcasts but I like how you guys do it, taking real marketing examples and doing a type of case study on it. Do you know any other podcasts that follow that format? I haven't found anything else like yours. Uh, you know, what's what's interesting about that to me is that the reason we formatted this podcast the way we did uh, is because every marketing podcast was the same. Like when we came up with this one, they were all interview podcasts, right? It was just mm – -hmm. I, I'm bloviated marketing person and I'm going to talk to other <laughs> like overblown person with a book deal. And, you know, some of those are great, but what happens is you end up like cherry picking which episode you want to listen to based on the person that's featured. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, I used to love Nerdist, uh, the, the, you know, the interview podcast, but I would skip like every four out of five episodes. Cause I'm like, ah, I don't, uh, Ooh, Jonathan Colton. Okay. I'll listen to that one, but I'm not going to listen to these like four other people. I don't know. And, and honestly, it was just the other ones out there are good. Uh, our competitors certainly all have one. But I was like, no, the world doesn't need another interview podcast. Uh, so we, we like when we do interviews, but they are special exceptions. Um, and, and so that's why we structured it this way. I, I think um, – there are a few ad out there. Adlandia is probably one of the more popular mm -hmm. um, that, that's got two co-hosts and they make it pretty, pretty casual. I like that one a lot. Um, and, uh, but you know, I, I'm just going to say, I don't, I don't listen to marketing podcasts and it's not that I don't like them or that I think ours is that much better. I just, I podcasts are my escape uh, from like, it's what I listen to when I'm doing house chores or you know, like mm -hmm. going for a walk or whatever. I just want to listen to something different <laughs> and well, just yeah. not, yeah. not be thinking about advertising for, for, you know, an hour. Well, yeah. uh, but uh, Doug, what would you say? Well, I was in radio for a, a long time. And like the last thing I wanted to do at the end of the day was listen to the radio. So I, I, I totally get that. Um, I would agree. I, I mean, I think that what, what she's asking, you know, talking about formats and marketing podcasts, there, there are a few that stand out to me. Um, so Terry O'Reilly, who's up in Canada, he has a podcast called under the influence and he's been doing this for a long time and he, he'll share stories about brands. He'll share, share backstories. There'll be some interviews, but it's, it's really interesting. Terry's a very smart guy and, uh, you know, he, he got into this game early. So it's, and the added bonus of being Canadian. Um, so that's definitely worth a listen. Uh, mixed company is a great podcast. Uh, that's around uh, inclusion and equality, and it's it's really really well done. 
Um, and then we have CMO Moves, which is Nadine Dietz. And she is, she does some really good, you know, to, to your point about interview podcasts, I, I agree with you. I think that they can be a little bit tired, but what Nadine does is she's really getting into the person, that CMO. We cover them about their work, but she's taking the other side of this and, and getting people a glimpse into the people who run marketing. But those would be, those would be the three. Um, I actually interviewed the mixed company people before and they're just wonderfully awesome human beings and um, everybody should listen to them because they have a lot of really great things to say. Anya, do you listen to any like businessy podcasts or is it mostly fun stuff? Yeah, I don't. When I saw this question, I was like, oh, I hope they have some because <laughs> I do not have <laughs> any examples. I don't listen to those. I listen to more, I guess, uh, like narrative podcasts or like maybe advice or relationships or stuff like that. No media marketing stuff. I also don't want to think about that after work. How many Bachelor and Bachelorette podcasts do you listen to? Oh, yes. I listen to Babes and Babies with two oh, former boy. Bachelorettes. Why did I ask that question? All right, keep going. Please continue. <laughs> no, that's the only one. There that's are so the many, one? though. I okay. feel like once they get off the show, they either like start selling things on Instagram or they start their own, <laughs> or they start their own podcast. Those are like the two options. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I think the the nice balance in between these is to say – you know, that you can learn a lot about storytelling from podcasts that have nothing to do with marketing. I would mm -hmm. argue you could probably learn a lot more about marketing from those. Um, you know, it's just a lot of a lot of marketing-oriented podcasts. Like, I pity anybody who really goes through that category in iTunes because it's, it's just a lot of, like, consultants, you know, talking or maybe talking to another person. And... Yeah, you know, it's it's fine, but I just think you'll learn a lot more listening to like Dr. Death, which is like the hot the hot podcast of the moment, uh, if you can stomach uh, pretty extreme surgical gore. Uh, <laughs> just that's very specific, David. That very is specific. well I mean it's it's tremendously popular at the moment, but what I enjoy is just as a journalist, it's you know, it's an investigative journalism story about a guy who just a neurosurgeon who just straight up mutilated people. Um I, I it having listened to it, I don't know if he ever had a successful surgery, honestly. Um and but uh you know the the woman who produced it and reported it, she really spent uh, a lot of time not just on the on the investigative reporting, but on just the story structuring. And uh, same with, uh, for me, with um, uh, Slow Burn, uh, which was a Watergate podcast originally in this season. The current season is about uh, Bill Clinton's impeachment and his affair with Monica Lewinsky. And that show, it's amazing. The storytelling and the pacing and all that is amazing, but also just the... Um, just the the way that they structured it as a storyteller, as someone who tries to think about these things, I was just like, oh, man, that's so smart, you know, that the way that they'll sometimes like go backward chronologically because they realize, oh, this is a better way to set this aside. Uh, so anyway, that that's my pitch for like fun podcasts. I think that you can learn a lot. Uh, my, my wife is currently obsessed with the Good Place podcast, uh, which we have we have chugged through the first two seasons. And uh, and we're so into it that a podcast from the creators of Good Place sounds awesome. And so she's been listening to it and come home being like, oh, in this one scene, do you remember when they showed this? That was actually so-and-so. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's great. You learn a lot more about the industry and about – so if you were into TV, you know, listening to that, you'd probably learn a bit a lot about how shows are made. Uh, so anyway, that's my pitch. All right. Let's see what the uh, next question is. Uh, this one is, again, a bit niche, but I'll be curious to hear if any of you have a strong feeling on this. Bridget Regan asks – 
is there a way to make an ad agency truly scalable and profitable? How do we increase margins from the measly 10 to 15% to something more substantial and impactful? If one wanted to create the ad agency of the future in a sense that it could scale like a startup, what would that look like? Um, you know, I, I will say that that is the big weakness of the agency model and especially the startup agency model is that what you see is a lot of shops, they, it's like someone starts it because they're a superstar at a larger agency, right? Like they become a creative superstar. So they branch out and they start their own agency. And what they find is they're really good at having two or three clients. And then when they get to like seven or eight clients, they're no longer really good. And several of them actually either peter off or just go out of business uh, because she's right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't scale easily. And so if your entire agency is built around the fact that like Doug Zanger, creative superstar, and you, you know, there's only so much Doug Zanger to go around, uh, which is the first time I've ever, I never thought I would say that sentence. Yeah, that um, was really kind of crazy, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, you can only spread yourself so thin and have clients still feel like you're actually working on this. Um, so, I mean, I think that's step one is don't make it a cult of personality where it's like, I am the genius. Uh, I, I think David Drogo is a good example of someone who did find a way to do that. Uh, but he certainly spent a long time in the agency world. Well, I mean, relatively before setting out on his own. Um, and, you know, and he built up a team that was not that had maybe the 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 thinking of a David Drogo without having to rely on him uh, 100%. And so I think that's first and foremost is making sure that you bring in a team where each each of your generals uh, and each of your lieutenants are people that you can 100% trust to convey your vision or at least your ideals uh, into each project versus like you having, if you're involved in every single project, your business will not scale. And maybe you'll be great at like, again, three accounts uh, but I've seen this happen with really good people who started agencies and they go through these waves where they grow really fast and then they have a lot of layoffs and they grow and then they lay off. And that's that's not a cycle you want to live on. Um, I don't know. Doug, do you have any thoughts? <clears throat> you know, I, I I don't know if I really have any thoughts about the uh, about the profitability side of it. But one thing that occurred to me is <clears> – <throat> excuse me um, – the agencies that are embedded with brands – seem to there seems to be less agita there so <clears throat> it feels like there's more security and and being embedded in with with the client feels like that that's one way to potentially just deepen the relationship well, um, give me an example are there any kind of you mean like where the agency is actually on site with how do you mean by embedded? Yeah, I mean there there are some agencies that are you know embedded within brands, and it's like okay, well we have an in house team, but we want external we want external thinking here. Um, so they actually just bring them on site, and and they they de facto make them part of their internal team. Um, I, I've just I've heard I I don't know if I'm allowed to name the agencies and the brands because I, I don't I, in past conversations they've said you know you know it's not really well known so I just at least want to honor that but it seems like those types of agencies um, seem to I don't know they just they seem to be clicking along a bit better and they they seem to be in a much better place instead of what's the next project what's we have to get this we have to be AOR for something you know it, just, it doesn't feel like there's a level of desperation but instead it feels like a great deal of confidence in the work that they're doing uh, Anya you got any secret formulas for profitable agency model I 
don't. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to keep it. it close to heart. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a fascinating question. I don't know if I did it justice, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's certainly something that the agency world is struggling with right now. Uh, and I had a good talk with some people who founded an agency the other day. It's it's still quite young, uh, but talking to them, I will tell you, I did not walk away being like. I want to start an agency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, wow, what a, what a nightmare. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, and the, and they're good. They're really good. And, uh, eesh, yeah, just the, 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 what they've had to go through and the mountains they've had to climb just to win their first few accounts. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. You know, Thank you. Procurement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, See, this is a short question, but there's a lot packed in here. Uh, Marvin Figueroa, uh, Figueroa asks, um, what do you think of marketing to Latinos? And that's the whole question. Uh, mm. So, obviously, you could look at that a few different ways. Uh, it's something we cover every once in a while. Anya, is there anything you've noticed in terms of trends or, or ways that it's been handled? Well, just that more companies should focus on that. It seems like it's this you know, Latinos constitute a huge portion of the population. And it's like, I don't know if marketers are scared to say the wrong thing or to not market their products correctly to them or something, but I feel like there's they can be ignored at times and that the marketing has to be very niche and like right if they're going to do it. And sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah, there's, you know, what's an interesting trend because it's self it's self fulfilling, I guess, is that there are these specialist agencies, you know, these multicultural agencies and ones that have said, we understand, uh, you know, American Hispanic culture. And, you know, we, we understand that it's more than one culture. It's obviously quite a few different cultures all blended together. And, and it's different, different parts of the country. And so we, we want to be your specialty shop. And that has worked. Those companies have done very well. Community and, and several other, you know, agencies have thrived on that model. The downside of that model is that, it kind of creates a way for brands and for major agencies to just kind of wash their hands of having to solve that problem. You know what I mean? It's like they just kind of say like, oh, okay, and then we have this agency over here. They're going to handle, you know, Latina, the mm. Latina market while, while you handle the mainstream market. And I, I would say that one thing that seems to be changing that I've, I've certainly noticed in the past year and I have never seen before until the past year and suddenly I've seen it several times is ads that are bilingual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so – and they run on mainstream networks. Uh, so – the, the one that comes to mind where I think it was handled the best is the Bud Light Dilly Dilly ad uh, where they go to see the, uh, the I don't know what you call her, prophetess or whatever, like an oracle. <laughs> it's a, oh, yeah, they called sure. her Oracle, Su- oracle Su- Susanna. And, you know, when the king gets there, if you haven't seen it, like when the king from the Dilly Dilly ads gets there. Uh, she he thanks her for the Spanish lessons, and it's subtitled, and his Spanish is awful. Like yeah. like he's you know it's just like half gibberish, and she's like you still need to practice. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, you know most of the ad is in Spanish because she's speaking Spanish, and it's obvious that he doesn't really understand. Um, but it's such a like if you spoke Spanish, that ad would crack you up because it's kind of making fun of the people who can't. Uh, but on the other hand, it's not making a big deal of the fact she's speaking Spanish. You know what I mean? And so right. they, they ran that ad during the World Cup. Uh, obviously, that's when you saw a lot of brands really start to, to focus more on, you know, more diverse audiences. And um, 
we also saw, I think it was maybe a little before that, Verizon has been running these ads with Thomas Middleditch from uh, from Silicon Valley, the nerdy you know white guy, and <laughs> they, I, I think. <laughs> Uh, I think it was Community, I hope I'm not remembering wrong, that made uh, versions of those ads where he tries to talk to a family, but they don't speak English. And so, like, he's, like, kind of concerned, like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And then this other version of him shows up, like, dressed the exact same, except he speaks Spanish. And my favorite part is that his top button is undone on his shirt. (laughs) And other than that, he's dressed the same. It's just his top button isn't buttoned all the way up to the, you know, to the top of his Mm -hmm. neck. And the guy comes in, and it's actually a... um, it's a Mexican actor, uh, and uh, was, uh, his name is uh, Luis Gerardo Mendez, and he's you know a somewhat famous Mexican actor. Uh, but he shows up and he's just like, "I'll take it from here." <laughs> he just mm-hmm. starts speaking Spanish uh, to the to the people. They've done that in several spots. I love those ads because it really does highlight that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like you you don't have to say, and then we'll have our Hispanic ads over here, and right. they'll be really they'll be really focused on family and on your abuela and like you know. <laughs> It's, they're able to show we can do both. Like you can make them feel like they're part of uh, American mainstream culture. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's that's my take. I mean, it's 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 been uh, th- this has been a long time in coming. I mean, it's something that's been discussed for years. Like it, to your point, it's we're not just you know we're not just the the agency for for the Latino market. We we do all these other things. I mean, I heard that for years, and I think we're now seeing that promise. Maybe several years too late. But what's also interesting is. I had a freelance client, and when we were speaking to um, the Latino audience out here, they said, you know, we're not necessarily speaking to the parents, we're speaking to second generation. And this was many years ago, so second generation um, second generation Latino are, are you know, they're, they're growing up and their spending power continues to grow exponentially, and the, it's, I, I think it's just smart. And you're seeing a lot, I think we're going to see a lot, we'll see fewer just really uber specialist agencies, whether it's Latino, Asian, African American, wh- whatever. And I think that the good news is, is that it will address the general audience, but I think the, I honestly think the creative will be better and it will be better, much better because of it, because there's more of a palette to work from. We are almost out of time, so I'll just go ahead and jump. We've got a few more questions, but I'm just going to make room for one more. So apologies if we did not get to your question. Uh, happy to try to answer it. You can hit me on Twitter. I'm just Griner, G-R-I-N-E-R on Twitter. Happy to try to answer it there. But uh, Julian Gamboa, uh, who has been uh, a big supporter of the podcast and uh, really appreciate him being such a frequent listener, uh, he sent in, what are your tips for success for someone who wants to get into podcasting? <laughs> <laughs> so. So if you want to, <laughs> oh my god! So that's Doug saying, "Don't do it." Um, I, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not saying don't do it. I, what I'm saying is, don't quit your day job because I made that huge mistake of not quitting my day job, and I tried to do this this podcasting network back in 08, 09. I thought, oh yeah, brands will want to brands will want to be involved with this. They'll want to do this, and it was way too early, and it was rough. Do not quit your day job. Make it a side hustle. If it grows, that's awesome. Don't expect to be rich, but you know you could do well if if it takes off. But you know. Make it a creative outlet that could, you know, the the, the vocational hobby, as it were, 
Um, but don't don't expect brands to be knocking on your door or sponsors knocking on your door. I, I made a huge mistake doing that. Uh, Anya, any maybe especially from the producer side of it, anything that people might just not realize they're going to need to get started with podcasting? Well, I was going to say don't get too hung up on having the most up-to-date equipment and like super mm-hmm. expensive mics and like the environment has to be perfect. Like, no, so many podcasts start out and people are just like sitting in their closet and yeah. recording, you know? And I'm, in a, I'm in a closet right now. Exactly. As we, we don't yeah. even have a dedicated podcast space here at Adweek. Like we use a conference room and you just make whatever works work, you know? Um, so I would just say if you want to start, then start with yeah, whatever yeah, you have and work on it. Like we had, you know, we had a lot more than most people starting out of the gate, like in terms of equipment and support base, you know, and it still sounded bad. Like those, mm-hmm. no matter what you do, those first few episodes are going to be such a steep learning curve. Uh, and the longer you put it off, it, like if you try to get 10 episodes in the can or something, or try to get to the perfect episode, you just won't do it. And no. I have to admit that those first few were rough on me because I was just like, no, let's do, let's redo it. Let's delete it and start over. And everyone's like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> Partly right. we, we, we don't have time, but you know, no. I can't go back and listen to those probably just like anybody can't go back to their first stuff. Um, but you just have to muscle through it and you'll never, you know, it's, I love following people who are launching podcasts because the stuff they obsess over, um, is not the stuff you still care about. Like people are like, I can't listen to my own voice and I can't, I can't go. And you get over that real fast. Like you, you have to, uh, because the sooner, if you don't listen to your own podcast, um, and your own recordings, you won't notice your dumb little habits that you only notice when you're listening to a recording of yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh man, I, I sure make that noise a lot. Or I sure say that same phrase over and over. Everybody has and, a crutch word or a crutch phrase. Mm-hmm. Mine is so. If you hear me say so, that's my crutch word. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's, but, but yeah, I think the sooner you just relax into it and just realize that it's never perfect. And I think people kind of actually enjoy podcasting because it's not perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, and, uh, and I, I would agree with Doug that, uh, it's not, it's not going to make you much money. Uh, we did a fun interview with the people behind Gastropod. If you're into food, I definitely recommend listening to that one. It's about the science and history of food. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, the women who run it, uh, have been doing an amazing job and they're, they're making a salary. You know, I think the way they describe it on that episode is, um, that uh, no, actually, maybe it wasn't a podcast. I'm trying to remember now. I don't, I don't think we did it as a podcast. It was an interview, a Q and A that we did um, on the site. Uh, so apologies for that. But the uh, it, you know the way they described it is we are making a salary, and it's it's their job, um, but it's not the salary we should be making for where we are mm-hmm. in our careers. So that's the goal they've set for themselves is they want to get to the point where they're making the salary they deserve uh, based on where they are in their lives and then grow from there. After that, I'm sure the goal is to add staff, uh, you know, because they don't have any. Right. Um, and they, they reminded me a lot of uh, my, my wife's cousin was in a very popular rock band and his advice was, you know, do everything yourself until you absolutely can't. Like don't the way that you go turn into a bankrupt rock star <laughs> is by hiring people to do everything for you to be your lawyers to be your uh, communications people to sell your merchandise. It's like you can do all that. You can do all that yourself. Like drive your own bus. You can do all that. And 
I think a lot of people are just like, oh, I'll just hire this because that's what the professionals would do. Uh, and, and I think the, the longer you can put that off and just uh, kind of do it yourself. Uh, but yeah, definitely, if you Google uh, Adweek and Gastropod, you'll find our Q&A. They have a much more successful podcast than we do. So there's a lot of uh, good good context in there of how to get it started. And they're they're great to follow on Twitter, too. And I'm sure they'd happily share some advice as well. Yeah, and I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to sound like a, a cynic here. I mean, by all means, go for it. I just... You know, my my situation was just a lot different because I was trying to build a business around it. And if you choose to go that route, to to your point, David, I mean, you really just try to do it all yourself and just be prepared. And that that was the one thing that that I didn't do. I just did not prepare as well as I as I could have. And you know, again, I, I'm I'm all for everybody getting out there and doing it because I think audio is. I, I love audio. We all, I, it's been part of my life and my career for a long time. Um, and I think the more that we get out there, the better off the medium will be. So by all means, go for it, do well, and just kick ass doing it. And uh, the, the one question we really didn't have time to get into that several people wrote in was, uh, what's next? Are you, gonna, are you guys going to launch any other podcasts? I'm sh- I, you know, I have a feeling we will. Uh, we've certainly kicked around many ideas. I will say that the best way to not want to launch five podcasts is to launch the first one. Uh, because once you've realized how much work it is, uh, and yeah, I mean, you don't make a killing off of it. You certainly, um, it's not a huge revenue vehicle. So, um, you know, it's it's easy to sit around and be like, we'll do this one, and then we'll do three more in the next right. year. Yeah. And instead, like, you do one, and you're like, this eats up a lot of time each week. <laughs> if yeah. we launch another one, it's going to eat up twice as much time. Uh, so, but, but that's it. I think we'll do more. I think we might start playing with produced audio and with limited run series where we intentionally say this is going to be a six-part or a seven-part, you know, season. Um, because there is a lot of value to that if you go into it knowing that's what you want to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, does, yeah, it, we'll does this does this mean that we can that I can pitch my idea of a six episode run of what a flame artist does? Yeah, what does a flame mm. artist do? Well, that's that's we have to save that for another episode. We, we should <laughs> like we should start from the bottom of advertising credits and just work our way up. Like, what does this person do? Yes. Um, but no, that's don't let's not do that. No. That's okay. not going to be a popular podcast. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much, Anya. It was great to have you back on the show. Thank you. It was fun. All right, and Doug, uh, great to have you back. Uh, we will. Uh, we also have another uh, normal episode coming up uh, very soon. And uh, yeah, but thank you for joining us, and thanks to everyone who sent in questions. You can hit us up anytime. We're podcast at adweek.com. It's podcast at adweek.com. And uh, yeah, our theme music is by Home. And uh, this episode was produced by Anya. So there you go. I can just thank you in person. (laughs) Thanks for producing this episode. Uh, And edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, We will be back soon. 